The Fifth Dimension and What Dreams May Bring, with special guest Alexei Novetsky. Episode 2, Season 2 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin, I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, Skywatchers. What is going on? It is March 24th. 2022 and today's episode we have a very special guest and that is Alexei Novitsky. Guys we've got about what seven more days to watch the March skies. Yeah and boy do we have some uh, interesting March news from the past we're going to talk about here in our news section so hold on to your hats for that because I think when we start to look back at some of this history it's going to be pretty apparent that in Michigan, March is very active. You know what else is very active? I'm afraid to ask. Not my immune system. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yep. And by the way, first day of spring, here's your upper respiratory infection, sir. Have a good day. Okay, our audience doesn't need to know what's medically going on with you right now. Well, that's why it's taken so long to get the show done. Oh, that is true. So, yeah. Pure Michigan. And here I was just getting ready to start talking about how, like, every time I'm driving down Ford Road near 275, I wondered to myself, is today going to be the day? Am I going to get another chance to see a triangle? I'm not going to lie. I keep my phone right in this, right in the cup holder now. I, I feel that, you know, I'm I'm ready to see another one so I can actually try to get evidence of it this time. Me too. I, I, I definitely would want to see another one. And yeah, I'm ready this time. Maybe it's the fact that we're ready. That now we're we not. won't see one. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Trying too hard. Maybe we just need to go back to playing bingo and being there to 2.30 in the morning. No. No, never mind. <laughs> no. Bad idea. Bad idea. Abort mission. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this. So, hey, everybody, don't forget that we are now on YouTube. Please search us out by typing in Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. It is all just one word. And you will find our channel. Please like and subscribe. Don't forget, we're also over on Instagram. You can follow us over there at M-I-U-F-O-S-P-E-P. You got your information with new show news that gets updated. Also on Twitter at M-I underscore U-F-O. 
Yes, and if you have a story you'd like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get your story or you on the podcast. And don't forget, if you like the podcast and, you know, into the all things woo, head over to uh, our online store to rock some of the latest swag. And you can find our online store at miufopodcaststore.online. Also, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. If you would like to support the podcast there, you can. It is simply patreon.com forward slash M-I-U-F-O-S-P-E-P, where you can sign up. We can't wait to give you a shout out for all of your support. All of these links will be provided, like always, in our show notes. So, Michelle, I think it's that time. It's time for What's in the News. Yes. What is in the news? Straight from the sun, on the rocks. Five huge asteroids soaring past Earth on St. Patrick's Day, and one is bigger than the Statue of Liberty. So NASA has its sights set on five close-approach asteroids this St. Patrick's Day. So this was just a week ago. The five large space rocks are all on the U.S. Space Agency's near-Earth objects list. All of the asteroids made their close approaches to Earth this morning. Asteroid 2019 PH1 is the largest at a staggering 203 feet wide. In comparison, the Statue of Liberty from base to torch is 151 feet tall. That's a big asteroid. That would cause havoc. So this large St. Patrick's Day asteroid just came about 2.9 million miles away from Earth. So while everyone was celebrating, asteroids were flying above. (laughs) Yeah, that would be pretty dangerous if that thing hit. I I don't know if they would consider that a extinction level event, but I think it would be pretty horrible because those things pack a punch. Yeah, so that may sound pretty far away, but asteroid 2019 PH1 was technically close enough to be considered potentially hazardous. So, and it looks like another one, the closest approach came from a slightly smaller space rock called 2022 EL6. This 190 feet asteroid came within 1.3 million miles of Earth. In the grand scheme of space, this isn't a large distance at all, so NASA still flagged it as something you want to keep an eye on. And, you know, Alexei and I get into discussing a little bit about the comet impact theory and the ending of the last ice age. And as you can see with this article, space isn't that empty. There's things floating around that can cause a lot of damage, so... No, and that was just the first two. So then any fast-moving space object that comes within around 4.65 million miles is considered to be potentially hazardous. 
by cautious space organizations. A 78-foot asteroid called 2022 EU-3 was the last close approach asteroid to shoot past within that five. So an asteroid 2022 EU-3 came within about 3.4 million miles of Earth. The other two asteroids to make the, the top five list on, <laughs> on St. Patty's Day wow. were called 2022 EM-6 and 2022 EU-6. And they were about 200 feet and 183 feet, respectively. All right, Michelle, I got another news article hot off the presses. Yeah, let's talk about this one, because anytime I see something followed up with a FOIA request, it's like, okay, who's digging? Well, a lot of these UFO researchers who are really deep into this stuff file FOIA requests all the time, especially now that there's the new Obama library that seems to have a lot of UFO documents um, that was released, you know, just not too long ago. So there are people asking for those, but this one is really cool. It says here, this is from bigfootinvestigations.com. Strangely enough, strange, uh, place to find this but it says 37 out of those 38 OSAP the AAWSAP defense intelligence documents released by the DIA so just very quickly what has happened is is that it says here the advanced aerospace weapon system application program that's ASAP and that's what uh, Luis Elizondo's group ATIP came from it says here, during the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, B-A-A-S-S, contract with the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, B-A-S-S commissioned 38 technical reports from a range of world-class aerospace specialists and academics. These technical reports were turned into defense intelligence reference documents known as DIRDs. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Dirds, really? D-I-R-D-I. Okay. Anyways, I won't sit on that for long, but I just, I can't help it. <laughs> hey, guys, where's the dirt at? Which dirt do you want? Dirt, dirt, dirt. <laughs> oh, God. Well, anyways, this is why sometimes you can't take this stuff too seriously. All right. So, anyways. These technical reports were turned into defense intelligence reference documents known as DIRDs by the DIA's James T. Lekatsky. Various UAP researchers and others have obtained and made available a number of these DIRDs, a total so far of 13 by my count. Now thanks to a recent FOIA response by the DIA to a UAP researcher who wishes to remain anonymous for the moment, we now have copies of 37 out of the 38 DIRDs. The final, unavailable for now, DIRD was a classified version of one of the others. So you can follow the link to this article and read the FOIA response from the DIA. They have an image there that shows and it talks about the 37 documents and things. Um, and there's also a link. It says, here is a link to the 37 documents. Enjoy. And you have to actually 
move your cursor over the words, here is the link. There is no, like, anything else to click on. It's kind of confusing. Yeah, have fun with the FOIA request. So, of course, I just recently downloaded them. And I want to tell you a little bit about what's in here. You guys are going to love these titles. So I'm not going to read you all 37, but here's some highlights. Number one, metallic glasses for aerospace applications. Aerospace applications, applications of programmable matter. Pulse high-powered microwave source technology. Biomaterials. Materials for advanced aerospace platforms. Invisibility cloaking theory and experiments. Metallic spintronics. Whatever that is. Here's one. Advanced nuclear propulsion for manned deep space missions. Hmm. Warp drive dark energy and the manipulation of extra dimensions. Oh, Alexei, you might want to look at this dirt. Let's see, what else do we have here? We got all kinds of things. Advanced space propulsion based on vacuum space-time metric engineering. Anti-gravity for aerospace applications. High-frequency gravitational wave communications. Metamaterials for aerospace applications. Let's see, what's another good one? Um... Laser Lightcraft Nanosatellites. That's interesting. Negative Mass Propulsion. And the list goes on. You guys can look at all these. I'm sure they'll be fun to download. There's about 1,473 pages to be read. So if you got some time, enjoy reading those 37 documents. Are you ready to get into some historical news? Because you do know... That this month of March, 2022, was the 56th anniversary of the swamp gas UFOs here in Michigan. And we'll go back to that. My favorite book title, Swamp Gas, My Ass. Yes, absolutely. What a incredible time it was in 1966. A huge UFO flap here in the Ann Arbor, Dexter area. Had everybody on edge. Police officers were chasing them down and taking reports. J. Allen Hynek was here with Project Blue Book. And spoiler alert, they said it was swamp gas. And it all just kind of went away after that. However, we now know and have data from other news articles at different times. Starting with... Orb in West Michigan sky remains unexplained. Lights headed southwest from Holland, officer says. This was March 15th of 1994. Muskegon, the craft hovered silently above the neighboring rural Holland farmhouse, some 25 yards away from where the children watched television. Its lights, inset on the globe-shaped object's body, oscillated, in the spring darkness, but there was no noise. By the way, this comes to us from the Ann Arbor News Bureau, and this was written by Michael G. Walsh. Michelle Graves, 10, and her brother Joseph, 14, fled their living room and alerted their parents, Holly and Daryl Graves. It was the weirdest thing I saw in my life, said Holly Graves, 36. I was in the bedroom, and I heard the kids say, 
Look at this. Look at this. As she and her husband raced to their living room window, what they saw shocked them, they said. Across the roadway, hovering just above tree level, was something. It was just sitting there. It was a big circle. It had lights, but they weren't blinking. It was circular and turning and not blinking. The family called Holland police. The object remained in their vision no longer than 10 minutes, the family said. It was there, turning, and then it went south, slowly at first. Holly Graves said, that wasn't a a weather balloon. It wasn't a plane. I don't know what it was. One officer who responded to to the call said in a tape-recorded statement to uh, Mutual UFO Network that all he saw were lights in the night sky. So, and then the article continues on with the lights were heading in a southwest direction. So that's the first one. And this was the UFO flap that was uh, being reported in 94, mainly on the west side of the state of Michigan. A lot of people saw UFOs entering Lake Michigan and coming out. Um, So this was a very active time. We're going to go on to another article here. Michelle, why don't you start us off with this one? This was March 18th, our favorite day. Yeah. But 1994. So um, from Muskegon, oh my God, what is this? The radar operator shouted into the phone as he talked to police in Holland. So here we go with Holland again, Mm -hmm. right on the water. Officers were seeking confirmation of what was being seen in the night sky. The tape recording of the March 8th Ottawa County 9-11 calls obtained by the Muskegon Chronicle under the Freedom of Information Act includes a number of people who called police to report strange lights in the sky. But the tape also records the startling findings of a stunned National Weather Service radar operator in Muskegon who tracked something across West Michigan's night sky. There's something right there, the radar operator said to a dispatcher's question. There's something big down there near Holland. It's really strange. No one is seeing what happened last week in the skies above West Michigan. UFO, starlight, or imagination, but the tape recordings made between 9.30 and 11 p.m. clearly reveal that residents, police, and a radar operator saw something unusual. Radar scopes also confirm the sightings of something solid and moving, sometimes slowly, sometimes at great speed, across lower central Michigan and out over Lake Michigan. The thing zipped from South Haven to 10 miles west of the city over Lake Michigan in 10 seconds, one National Weather Service official said. So they were picking these things up on the National Weather Radar. Uh, Yeah, and shocking uh, the dispatcher. Um, It's moving. I can see it moving. The unnamed radar operator at the Muskegon National Weather Service Station said to the dispatcher. And I think one of those radar operators has come out with a book describing what happened on that day. I'm trying to find out more information about that, but hopefully we can get the author of that book to come on the podcast. I'd love to hear that story. Tell it. Yeah. Tell the story. And again, This is March 16th, 1994. Researchers flocked to the state for UFO proof. Once again, we're in Michigan. So Muskegon, West Michigan today is ground zero for UFO researchers who believe something significant happened here last week. 
dozens of people reported seeing a light ringed globe shaped object that flew and sometimes slowly sometimes at great speed in a southwesterly direction then zipped out over lake michigan at over 3600 miles per hour it is right now the hottest case we have in the country said walter andrus director of the texas-based international mutual ufo network not only were there eyewitnesses, but there is radar confirmation, which they had to file FOIA to get. So MUFON volunteer researchers are in the area talking with people who saw something in the night sky between 9.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. March 8th. Shirley Coyne, MUFON state director, said the sightings are unusual, but not new to UFO researchers. I see something very unusual, but nothing new to us as far as how the object looked, Coin said. I would tend to believe what these people are saying. They know what they saw. Dozens of reports tend to show that something was visible in the night sky and flew in a southwesterly direction, at least from mid-state to the Lake Michigan coast at South Haven. We are trying to track it across the state, northeast to southwest. Coyne said, that seems to be the direction everyone saw it from. Joseph Pennington left work at Ravina's Emory Industries about 9.50 p.m. Tuesday with two co-workers. It was right by our shop next door hovering above the trees, a string of lights, Pennington said. I couldn't see the object, just the lights. It dropped below the tree line. We jumped into the pickup truck and headed over there, but it was gone. Pennington said the strange object was silent, and he dismissed suggestions that what he saw was a helicopter or other conventional aircraft. From where I was at, I'd guess it was probably 50 feet long. It was cigar-shaped round, Pennington said. Pennington said the light coming from the craft was intensely white, almost blinding. Randy Murphy of Ada was awakened by her husband about 10 p.m. that night. They saw an intense white light from something hovering in the night sky near their home, about 100 feet above the tree level. The silent object had three intense white lights. Lee Lampert's Sports editor for the Holland Sentinel newspaper saw intense lights flying in a boomerang-shaped formation. Andrus is familiar with the phenomenon. We call that the flying wing, he said. Sometimes it's reported as triangular or delta-shaped. West Michigan sightings are unique, Andrus said, because government radar tracked the appearance at the same time a police officer was watching it disappear in the southwest skies. Man, thinking back to, ni- to 94, yeah. I mean, here we are on the east side of the state, and on the west side, they're just a hotbed. Well, Lake Michigan is deep. It's a huge freshwater lake, and... You know, these things were reportedly going in and out. Yeah. So Mar- March 8th. Wow. There you go. So some history for you for March and how March is quite the hotbed of activity here. Like I said, seven more days watching the skies. It's time for some shout outs. So first up, we have 
the Chris Lato channel. Chris was an F-16 pilot for 18 years and retired in 2020. He had an amazing career, but now lives with his family in Lagos, Portugal. He spends his free time making investigative YouTube videos about unexplained aerial phenomenon. Chris started making videos to try to impress his kids, but he now finds meaning and motivation to use his experience towards solving the UAP mystery. He is active on both YouTube and Twitter, and you can find his channel at the links in the show notes. Next, we have the Lost in the Dark podcast hosted by Burton and Aaron. This is a pretty cool podcast that bills itself as an attempt to capture incredible conversations between best friends as they explore all of their passions, but especially music in the world of heavy metal. So if you're into paranormal investigations and loud heavy metal music, give them a listen. Strong language, but it's heavy metal and the paranormal. What else would you expect? Next, we have Welcome to Texas Front Porch. Join Tex Wesson, Jason McLean, Bigfoot Michigan Rob, Bob Van Buren, Randy Gilbert, and Jessica Jones on their quest for the truth. Kick back on the front porch with Tex and Jason live on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Check out topics and guests from far and wide with Bob Van Buren on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on Van Buren Variety. Jason McLean questions everything each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central. Strap on your feed bag every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central with Brunch with Bigfoot Michigan Rob. Hindsight and foresight is 2020 when you tune in to Remote Viewing Investigations with Jessica Jones every Friday launching April 1st. 2022. We hope you enjoy the ride as we pull back the veil of mystery, mayhem of the world we all share. And last but not least, Johanna James. She's an actress, she's a comedian, she's an ancient history geek, and British. Johanna's YouTube channel explores the alternative history world. I'm not dead yet. Searching the evidence of high technology during ancient times. Her videos are filled with a wealth of information and offer some witty and comedic humor. What a great place to start with learning about the evidence for high technology that has since been lost in the sands of time. Go check out her YouTube channel. Simply search for Johanna James or find the link in our show notes. Bring out your dead. Ding. Nothing like a little Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. That's horrible, I know. But anyways, she would appreciate it. She's a comedian. Everybody loves a good, uh, what was the name of the comedy troupe? It was Monty Monty Python. Python. Come on. I I just said Monty Python. Why didn't you say it earlier? Oh, my God. Man, I grew up watching Monty Python. That's like I can watch the movie and recite all the lines while it's playing. And there's nothing worse than Americans trying to use a British accent. Uh, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> He's ripping on me, folks. That's what it is, because he knows that I do it every now and then in my classroom when I get on a Harry Potter kick. Harry Potter? Stop. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and uh, get going here with our guest. So tonight 
on the podcast, we have Alexei Novitsky. So, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about Alexei? Well, Alexei Novitsky is a lifetime practitioner of meditation. He has been learning in his dreams since he was five years old. He has a bachelor's in astrophysics and physics and planetary sciences from CU and a master's in mechanical engineering from USF. His work has been on display at the Smithsonian Ripley Center, Air and Space, and Museum of American History. He has also traveled and given lectures on innovation and creativity to middle schools, high schools, colleges, universities, and libraries. That's really cool about the him traveling to especially middle schools, but I'm biased. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring on Mr. Alexei Novitsky, and let's have our minds stretched into that fifth dimension. Alexei? Thank you for joining us on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's great having you on. And like I was just talking about your your book, and actually you have several books now. So um, I'm new to what you work on, and um, but I found what you were talking about very fascinating. So if you can, why don't you give our audience a little bit of a background on yourself and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, as far as um, my educational background, I went to the University of Colorado and I have my bachelor's degrees in astrophysics, physics, planetary science and astronomy uh, with a minor in geology. And then as far as, you know, my, uh, I guess, then I went and got a master's in mechanical engineering at the University of South Florida. Um, but in my entire life, I've been a practitioner of meditation and have been learning in my dreams. Um, and so in my opinion, it was always very apparent that modern physics doesn't explain reality properly. Like it doesn't explain gravity. It doesn't explain momentum. Um, and the list kind of goes on in a way. Like a lot of things are unexplainable by, by science. Like, for example, what is, what is it to be alive? You know, is unexplainable by science. Like what, what happens when we're born? What happens when we pass away? Um, lots of things were left completely unexplained. So kind of, I, like, I, kind I, of like that consciousness question, right? Like, what is consciousness? How, how can we have, you know, DNA, basically the same bone structure, we come from kind of the same place, but yet everybody's different and has a different, I don't want to say reality, but different experiences. So maybe we can touch into that a little bit and uh, go from there. Yeah, no, I hear you on that too. And like, what I've kind of come to realize after studying and writing all this is that we're all more, more similar than different to begin with. I mean, if you think about the energies that exist in reality from like infinitely big to infinitely small, the differences between me and you and everyone, and even the matter that exists within our realm is so, so, you know, microscopic and minuscule. It's kind of funny. Um, like, but yeah, the difference between, yeah, you get, I think you get what I'm saying already there. We're more alike than we are different, but Definitely. we have our own, I don't know, frequencies, I guess. You know, we, we manipulate the energy differently. 
yeah. if, if I'm thinking of that properly, you know, I, this is new to myself and, and my wife here, Michelle, that we're, uh, unfortunately we were, or fortunately we were part of an experience, you know, in 2018 where we saw this huge floating triangle about 15 miles from our house. And when we were telling Chris about this, you know, I'm, I'm a earth and space science teacher. I have a bachelor's in earth and space science, mineralogy, geology, astronomy, all that good stuff. My wife is a 22 year veteran teacher of ELA and mythology and we're educated people and UFOs and all of this stuff was more of a, a fun, fancy kind of a thing to watch on TV, star Wars, you name it, you know, we're just normal people when it comes to that. And then we saw this 300 foot on a side black triangle floating above the freeway, very close. And from there on, we had been wrestling with what to do about it. Well, the first thing we wanted to do was find out who else saw anything. So we started a Facebook group and kind of let it float around out there to see if anybody else saw it on the same night we did. And nobody saw it that same night in that same place other than us, even though it was 2.30 in the morning, but there were other cars out there and they had no reaction to it whatsoever. It disappeared without a sound when it started moving parallel to us. And it blew my mind scientifically, anything logically. Um, The glowing orbs that were in the corners or the angles of this triangle were emitting light, but the light wasn't shining on the ground. So I don't know if whatever this craft was, they have some kind of control over the photons, the light. They were more like glowing, but it was so damn bright. It was ridiculous. It's hard to put into words what we saw. And that really, if I was by myself that night without my wife there, I probably would not have said anything. He would have came home and not have said a thing to me either. (laughs) Yeah, I would have. I would have probably just blew it off. But we had this shared experience. And so we sat on it for almost three years. Like, But we got so many responses on our Facebook page about stuff here in Michigan, we decided, you know what, let's see what we can find out from other people from around the world. What's really going on with this topic? Lo and behold, in June, the government releases the UAP report. Right. And we had no idea about what was going on in, in any of this stuff. And then we find out this has been going on for some time and the government's been behind a lot of, secrecy and investigations and then that opens up the whole paranormal realm and things they were looking into in the paranormal i mean it it just it's blown my mind um and here we are now in our second season of this podcast talking to people like you searching for and and i don't want to sound selfish but in a way i'm searching for and michelle may be totally different on this but for me i am searching for answers for me because what i saw i'm doing this for finding answers i want to i want to figure out what this is and i want to play with it (laughs) so so you know that's kind of the where i come from with uh, uh my my feelings on it and michelle may 
you know, may feel the same way or not. We haven't really talked about, you know, where. No, we just came home, started the Facebook group shortly after and just kind of kept quiet and didn't talk to each other about what we thought it was. Yeah, strangely enough. I mean, it, you know, so anyways, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you know, there's a little bit of background on us. If, uh, you know, you weren't aware of why we started this and, and what, you know, we have kind of going on. So we're looking at all angles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think somewhere in there, the answers are going to be in science, though. I can't dismiss people and, and what they have going on either abductions or whether they have certain abilities or implants and they can see things differently than us because, well, perception is, is just a matter of what your brain and your eyes can interpret, you know, and, so this this has really kind of opened up some some strange avenues, to say the least. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as um, my experience, I mean, so that was probably like a pretty uh, pretty overwhelming experience. You know, that that made you essentially change your view or or start seeking a new view. Right. Like. Yes. Um, and, was and, that instantaneous acceleration is the thing that mostly caught your eye about it, or no? What caught my eye was I thought it was a a crashing airliner from Detroit Metro airport. I saw these three, well, we both saw these three massive lights and I thought they were landing lights, but I'm, I'm a pilot guy. I know general aviation. I've been around aircraft my whole life. We live right by Metro airport. We watch the planes come in day, night. I know the strobe lights. I know the landing lights and these lights were too far apart. And then as we got closer to it, I saw that they weren't lights. They were globes that were recessed up inside this gigantic black triangle. And it wasn't moving. It was floating there. Right. And as we went on the, the expressway, we had to do like a, like a 270 degree, you know, circular motion on the on-ramp to get going south. The thing rotated in place so that it was pointing south and then moved parallel with us. And so I started gunning it and we lost sight of it going past some trees. And we went down this little sound abatement part of the expressway. And when I came back up and looked over, it was just gone. And there was no sound to this thing because I had rolled down the window to listen, to see if we could hear anything. There was nothing. There was no, no light shining on the ground from these massive orbs that were there um any light that was reflecting up uh, it was so low any light that was reflecting up off the ground from like the the street lights was being absorbed by this weird kind of skin it almost looked like it was being heated up by the light and it was uh like a mirage looking type of thing yeah it's hard to explain something sometimes it, for sure <laughs> yeah uh, it, it changed our trajectory and i I've talked to people and see, let's see what you think on this and you might agree or not, but I think that's what these, these things or whatever they are kind of do to people. That's like kind of their purpose. And when I saw you talking with Lou and Chris and Tony, and it's like, why are they here? What are they doing? I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're giving us glimpses to awaken something in some of us to get to where they're at. That That's just kind of off the top of my head. Like, they're inspiring us. Hey, look at this gigantic triangle here. Look at how we do it. Try to figure it out. Bye. Right. You know, so. Yeah. 
Just a I thought. Mean, no, it could be that, or people are just naturally inspired by things that put them into awe, right? So it's either one. Um, as far as um, my understanding, basically, I've been learning in my dreams for a very long time. Like, uh, th- what I mean by that is I-, I wake up from dreams knowing how to do things I didn't know how to do before. Uh, the very first time I rode a bicycle was in my dreams. I woke up and I went straight to my brother who was six, and I said, I know how to ride a bike, you know? And he said, show me. So I, I took, he took the training wheels off my bicycle and I just jumped on and rode in circles by myself. Like, um, and so I've been learning in my dreams and um, that's basically where the information from all these books comes from as well. Okay. And I, I do my absolute best to tie it into accepted physics um, in order to actually make it make sense to people and actually have people look at it. Right. And so um, based off of all the information, I've been able to create a model um, that explains that potentially you could say explains, uh, the fun phenomenon, um, all the way from the different densities of experience to how it relates to consciousness, uh, to the angels and demons aspect of it. Um, the past and the future aspect of it basically, I do my best to incorporate it all into one model, right. That shows all of that and how it's possible with one motion through one fluid. Um, and so it's a very clean model, you could say, you know, it's not too messy, but the easiest way to think of it is um, current accepted science basically says that our universe is expanding from every point in space and time, but that's really just our perception because all the energies, all the physical matter that we're experiencing is a relationship. It's the matter, it's the energy that's in the same flow of space as our creation. Um, because at the most fundamental level, you have a consciousness and you have a field of energy, right? Um, and so you took astronomy, right? So you know about um, relativity there, like where they talk about Lorentz contractions and time dilations. And so you could say that we have a frame of motion and then we have Lorentz contractions and time dilations all working with a singular energy to create our experience. Um, and so when you look at the natural universe, you just, everything orbits. All energy is in a state of orbit, right? We orbit the center of the earth the earth orbits the center of the sun, the sun orbits the center of the galaxy. At that point, we think the universe is expanding, but when you study relativity, you understand that there's time dilations and Lorentz contractions associated emotion. So, so extrapolate that rotate one more time, extrapolate it one more time. And at at the end of the day, you get to your greatest orbit around time. Right. Um, And that's basically related to a giant black hole, a giant vortex of energy, which is what I like to call the fifth dimension. And from there, our perceptions are being manifested based off of our distance from center. I have a nice model I can open up that kind of shows all this. If you want, I can share it real quick. Sure, go ahead. I think you have sharing permissions. So very absolutely. Cool. Um, very, I have a couple of really simple photos that will help explain what I'm talking about. Okay. So if you want to think of everything in a being in a state of orbit, right? And so that means our universe, meaning our layer of reality, is also in a state of orbit. Um, And what we notice from quantum physics, essentially, is that matter is flipping in and out of solidity at all times, right? And you could see that through the double slit experiment, how energy essentially overlaps to create nodes of manifesting matter. Um, There's, you know, there's interference patterns that are created. And so in a way, you could say that our entire universe is constantly being manifested right we're always in a state of manifestation there's not really a solids just things appear solid based off our relative frames of motion um and so if we're in a state of orbit what you have is as your perception orbits to the side 
literally energy is being stretched and crunched into your perception. And so energy between you and the center of time would be being crunched to you as you approach it. It's almost like being in a Gravitron. You're stuck to the wall, right? So everything between you and the center is being crunched to you. And then you could say your back is being stretched away. And then as you leave that spot of perception, energy reverts back to normal. And so you could say this left side is your future and the right side is your past. So your, your perception of now is, and then you, you could say that the human consciousness is the easy user interface. So you could say that your perception of now is literally one half past, or sorry, one half past plus one half future, giving you a now moment. And so that all exists while you're orbiting the center of this greatest structure. And so when it comes to, and these all relate to density of experience, because if you're orbiting in this outer realm, literally that the matter is being crunched less and light is being stretched less. And then as you get closer to center, matter is being crunched more and light is being stretched more. It's, it's the, you know, it's your relative frame of motion in a relationship to a, a singular field of energy. Um, and so basically you, if you were to move like an inch in this dimension of density, you would literally be almost at the stars. Like it, that's the easiest way to explain those great, how you can travel great distances um, like that. So yeah, this just gives another dimension to work with. So one of the things like I teach my students is the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. And the sun is so far away. So I, I, you know, you try to give students at a young age a way to get their brain going and thinking about scale, which is very difficult for them to do, especially in astronomy, to try to wrap their head around these numbers. Right. Where would something like when I explain to the students, hey, if the sun blew up right now where it's at, it would take eight minutes for us to even realize that it blew up because it takes eight minutes for that light to travel to earth. Does that fit in this model anywhere that you're talking about the stretching of, of your perception? That's, that's like, we're hum- like we're kind of confused with our science, in my opinion, because we have this 4D perception of time, which would literally be like what I call the habitable spiral of perception. So we've been slowly drifting inward, but on a very fine line. Um, there's really only a now moment. Is what, is what this basically shows. And, and in the now moment, there is a quantum past and quantum future. And so when the sun blows up um, and we only get the light eight minutes later, um, when did the sun, I mean, so like where, where did the sun blow up in this diagram or when did the sun blow up, I guess is a good way of thinking of it um, because there's only now. And so to say that the light arrives eight minutes later, that kind of doesn't make sense. It's like in, at this spot, the sun looks blown up. Over here, it doesn't, you know, it's probably maybe a a different way of looking at it. Yeah, that's interesting because of the, you know, we would know that the sun went out for eight minutes for whatever reason. But you're saying is that the, this is this now time that it wouldn't matter. Right. Well, there's only now. Okay. Yeah, there's only now. Um, And so that's kind of where I think a lot of things get mixed up. But so what this kind of shows, too, is also like a relationship to consciousness and our ability to actually interact with the electromagnetic universe, because the human brain primarily operates from delta to fast gamma as far as conscious harmonics. And um, it's you could say the beta is centered around 20. But when it comes to actually perceiving our waking world, we have to be in a 
basically an alpha, beta, or slow gamma state of consciousness. If you're in fast gamma, you're basically having an out-of-body experience. And if you're in delta and theta, you're dreaming. And so in order to actually harmonize with the field of energy that is our manifested universe, you need to be in alpha, beta, or slow gamma. And that actually helps explain the whole 2.30 in the morning thing, too. If you want, I can get straight into that. But Absolutely. And, and by the way, ever since we've had that experience, I want to say at least one night a week, I am up at 3.33 a.m. Yeah. At least once. It's usually multiple times. It's gotten to the point where I just take a screenshot of my phone so I can I, I have a record of 3.33 in the morning, 3.33 always. Right. And I go back to sleep. But it's really bizarre. So yeah, let's let's jump into this uh, two thirty in the morning. Well, so I mean, so to think about consciousness, right? Like, what is consciousness? And one way to think of it is that um, so this is just going to be a gyroscope processing. And what I want to point out is it's a big orbit followed by a tight orbit. Okay, and and you have to think that all of our manifested experience is is, is coming in from that fifth dimensional vortex. And precession and momentum and gravity are all a relationship of synchronization of incoming energy. And so when something starts to spin, it's trying to synchronize with this vortex. And so it naturally has a motion, right? So with gyroscopic precession, you can basically map the fifth dimensional vortex. So if you look at the orbit, it's one really big orbit. And then it does a tight orbit. And then it does a big orbit, right? And then it does a tight orbit. So you can say that's... That's the orbit of a gyroscope hanging on a string at a 90 degree angle. Okay, now what I want to share with you is um, a book called The Fifth Dimension. So uh, the Infinite Pool of Experience and Awareness is basically six books put together to make an anthology. Yeah, and the fifth book in it is called The Fifth Dimension. Um, So I'm just going to open up the Infinite Pool so that I can flip through all the books at once, kind of making it easier to, to work with. Okay, so we just looked at that processing gyroscope. Yeah, so it goes around in a a tight orbit, goes out to a larger orbit, and then comes back to a tight, and it repeats that while it's spinning itself. Okay, so we talked about a fifth dimensional vortex, right? And when you think about your brain, or you think about any frequency being created within our perception, a frequency or you know a wave is basically a pendulum going back and forth or it's energy that's orbiting. So if you're thinking about light and the speed of light, and you're thinking about frequencies and wave nature, and we're in a black, giant black hole, which is an energetic vortex, you could say that each one of your conscious harmonics, meaning delta through fast gamma, actually has a different size orbit. Um, if you consider acceleration towards center at light speed while orbiting, right? And so basically from that, you're able to create something called the table of universes. Um, which is right here. And so from the table of universes, let me see, I have a, so from the table of universes, basically you see there's average frequencies and you have your average harmonics and then you can have average diameters. What we also notice is that human consciousness has something called the circadian rhythm, like a properly tuned human follows what's called the circadian rhythm. And so if you wanted to map your consciousness, through the dimension of density, following the circadian rhythm, you can make a map, right? So this is, so in the delta wave, you're only harmonizing with the biggest rings. 
So this the red rings in this drawing, this would be delta, so deep sleep. Um, and just to kind of show you with alpha, it's one fourth of the diameter as far as the information field. Um, alpha is one fourth the diameter of that. Beta is one fourth the diameter of that. And so when you start thinking now, okay, now let's map out consciousness through density. You realize, well, basically from 11 p.m. to 2.30 a.m., you're, you're in delta. It's kind of just flying out. And then after delta comes theta, and this is basically what they call the witching hour or where a lot of UAP events happen. And so you're harmonizing with this theta field and you're at about this distance, which is about 1.5 times 10 to the five meters away from the center of time. Um, if you want to consider acceleration towards center at light speed. Um, and so then after theta comes alpha and beta, but what you realize here is that you, you, don't, you don't go to alpha and beta and then to alpha and then back out. You do alpha and beta and you switch throughout the day. And so a more accurate orbit is to do a big loop with a tight loop inside and then a big loop outside. And I, so I made this orbit before I saw that gyroscopic precession video. Um, and they just ended up aligning almost perfectly, right? Yeah. Yep, and so then, absolutely. Yeah. And it shows the different fields that your consciousness is actually tuned to, the different harmonics and things like that. And so now we can even tie this into one more drawing because part of the theory is basically that that fifth dimensional vortex is all tidally locked, right? And so when energy is, when energy is tidally locked, basically, so when energy is tidally locked, it has a orbital relationship of like one, two, four, eight. But what, I, what I'm more talking about is like actual orbits, like um, the moons of Jupiter are tidally locked. And so for every one time, one of one rotates, the one inside will rotate twice. And the one inside of that rotates four times. And so if you want to think of your consciousness, meaning delta through fast gamma, like literally like the consciousness energy that creates our perception, delta through fast gamma, as being tidally locked within that fifth dimensional vortex, you can, you can, you can make these spheres. Um, and so now you could say this would be midnight and you have all of your four local spheres of consciousness in a line, delta, theta, alpha, and beta, right? And so your conscious perception, you could say would be in the center of in quotes, mass of that system. And so this represents midnight. And each one of these, the differences between each section here is an hour and 30 minutes. So at 1.30 a.m., you can see how all the, this one goes around half a turn. This would have gone around 90 degrees, 45 degrees, uh, a 16th. And basically, um, you can see that your consciousness is still in the center of mass. We haven't quite jumped into theta. But in between these two is when you, you interact with the theta field. Like your consciousness is actually interacting with the theta field. But And again, you're in the center of mass of the four different local spheres that create your conscious perception. Um, again, follow, just following the natural orbit. And so what you see is at 6 a.m. So if this is midnight up here, 6 a.m. is right here. And you have these three in a line. And your red sphere is up at the top. And so this one, just to be more accurate, should probably be a little more offset, like up there. Um, all right, so then you can con continue to orbit, all of, meaning all of these orbit with their tidally locked rates. And you can see how consciousness follows the center of mass of fifth dimensional tidal locking. 
to where literally at noon, where you see how you go, you would go back towards the inside, but you wouldn't go all the way because your red sphere is now out here. So the only difference between noon and midnight is the red sphere because um, they're all in a line and your consciousness is, you know, out here. And is the red sphere Delta? Is that it represents Delta Delta? Okay. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say the only difference between midnight and noon is that the red sphere is on the outside here. And because of that, you, your consciousness goes back towards the theta, but it doesn't quite make it all the way. So it has a tug to the left, but doesn't go as far as it would, right? If the red sphere was over here, you would be all the way around. And so then as these continue to, to orbit, your consciousness goes back up and through. And so this actually gives great insight into the procession of gyroscopes too, of how they're basically, it's a relationship of fifth dimensional tidal locking. And so 6 p.m. is the opposite of 6 a.m. One, two, three in a row, your red's down here. And then you can see basically when you come back through at 1030 at night, you also are interacting with that same three, three in the morning field. Um, and then basically the, the cycle finishes off right here. And you're back to midnight. And you're back to midnight. Exactly. And so this shows how your consciousness acts as if it's gyroscopically processing through the fluid of time. And that is being controlled by four local spheres of synchronized energy that are what create your conscious experience. So does that also then during, depending on the different times that you're at, does that change then your perception? Yes. This is like the field of energy we're actually interacting with our entire, your experience is interacting with this field of energy. So are these UAPs in this two thirty range? Are they in that? Is it theta? Yep. So when you are in that theta field or you're, you're, you're dancing around your consciousness is dancing around in that sphere of the theta. Yep. You're, you're kind of interacting on where they're, whatever these things are. Yes. Are you're at. actually you're in their same plane of, you could say creation or thought process, right? Like you're within their conscious influence in a way and they're within yours. Right. Because some people have reported seeing these things and at different times of the day. So I don't, you know, I don't know what if you're on the different part of the planet and, uh, you know, it's midnight for us, but in the West coast, it's, you know, 9 PM. Um, are they in theta as well? Or is it based on your location? What you think time is, is there a, a universal clock that we're connected to regardless? Uh, or, or is it based on us? Basically, it, uh, your perception is 100% related to your position. Everyone has their own unique perceptions. So if I'm in a circadian rhythm of, you know, you could say Florida, someone in Australia is going to be tuned to a different one. Um, but they're still going to be flying through the theta field because that's more of a dimension of density thing as opposed to like a physical dimension of experience. Hopefully that, that helps explain that a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think I'm, I'm wrapping my, my brain around this because uh, it, it makes, it's starting to make sense to me because there, there are times where people see UAPs and things and uh, other people can be standing right there. Yeah. Next to them yeah. I mean, and not has, see a thing. Yeah. It's like uh, some people might have, a, you could say in quotes, a telescope, uh, meaning an electromagnetic vortex that's focused at their position. Whereas others won't. 
And so you know how that is with focusing light and things like that. Like someone might see it very clearly and someone might not be able to see it at all just based off of the direction the light's coming, the crunching, and you could say the energy relationships. And so the Thetaverse in my, from my drawings here is more on the lower verse side of energy. Um, whereas the Noviverse is more related to the fast gamma experiences. And in gamma is representing what again? Where, where are you at when you're in gamma state? 80 hertz. Okay. Yeah. So delta, meaning your deep sleep, is like uh, the deep sleep, right? So you're basically not interacting as one hertz. Right. Um, fast gamma is the out-of-body experience related to near-death experiences. So basically uh, when DMT gets released into your pineal gland, people have 80 hertz in their brain. Um, and that's from this drawing is basically towards the noviverse side, which is the next layer of experience. Um, so there's consciousness is fundamental when, you know, in this model here, and we perceive different energies based off of the relationships. And so in order to perceive a denser realm, you can, you literally crunch or sorry, you expand space and twist it to properly harmonize. If you want to perceive a lower verse realm, you compact space and twist it. And that way it allows it to harmonize properly with the normal harmonization of your, your consciousness. Because it's all, it's all energy and it's all fields, fields of energy, essentially orbiting time. But when you think about your creation, you're created from all of these inner energies being crunched to you and stretched away. And then all the energies from the outside being crunched to you and stretched away. There's really only one fluid and our experiences, meaning the type of matter we experience is like the number of energies that are being crunched to you or stretched away because if i wanted to shrink down and be a plank sized consciousness basically i would still have the same energetic relationships uh to the to the energy fields and so an electron really wouldn't look like an electron if i, if I crunched down it'll look like something else because it's all it's all about relative energies so in, in this theory that you have here it would be if if these UAPs are some type of an interdimensional or a different dimensional in your model, they're, they're existing in this other dimension and it is the people, it is us that are moving through these states that are able to see them. They're not coming like to us necessarily. They're not coming into a different, into our reality. We're, we're more stepping into theirs. Am I assuming correctly here? Um, you know, that could be the case for half of them. And it could also be the case that some of them might be intentionally trying to come within our realm. So if you say okay. this is all of time and we exist within an orbit, right? If something wanted to come interact with us, it could easily create a vortex and come interact with us. Um, how, could, how could they do that? By forcing precession of electrons is one, well, by, by creating a magnetic vortex that, that have the proper stretch and crunch ratios. So these inner realms are, are, are literally one fourth the, the diameter of our realm because it's all about acceleration towards center at light speed. And if your frequency is half, that means your diameter is one fourth um, because based off that tidal locking, right? So basically this drawing is not to scale like every astronomy drawing we, we look at. Right. Right. Um, but these should all be like one fourth of the diameters. 
So if you wanted to stretch space four times and then create a twisting of twice of that, you'd probably be harmonized perfectly to the layer below you. Um, if you wanted to crunch space four times and then twist it twice, you would be perfectly harmonized with the layer uh, or slow it down by twice, essentially, you'd be harmonized with the, the lower verse side. Um, so magnetic vortices create tunnels, you could say, to inner and outer realms of experience, meaning the different dimensions of experience. And so we won't, we don't consciously perceive things that are in the lower verse side or in the noviverse side. Like it's literally not within our field of perception. Um, we can only perceive things that are on within our layer of physical energy, right? Uh, sorry, I'm kind of going through these random ones, but like, so basically this shows that there's time dilations associated too, because if the orbits are faster inside, you literally cross the vents quicker. Um, so your orbit is slower out here. So events at towards the outside take longer events towards the inside happen quicker, but it's all happening in the now. Um, easiest way to put it. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing and very interesting all at the same time. And it's like, I feel like I'm getting these little grasps of it. Right. And then it it it's like I I think I get it. And then I don't know because now I'm asking different questions. <laughs> well, that means you're probably getting you're asking the right questions, right? We're getting a little bit closer. Like, well, so so one of the reasons why I'm asking you about this is because. In a lot of interviews that I've seen about, uh, well, from Lou Elizondo is um, this always comes up that maybe these are things that have always been here and we've now just been able to interact with them or see them or track them on our new sensors that we're putting out there. So maybe their, maybe their interdimensional has been dropped a lot too. You know, and, and when I saw what you were talking about, things were kind of ticking in my head a little bit about what if these new sensors that we're, and, and I'm speculating, but what if these new sensors we've created along with um, maybe nuclear weapons and things like that, but these things have been visiting for a while, but maybe these things, these signals that they're using for radar and warships and Aegis cruisers and all of this stuff. Is it possible? And I would think you would be the person to ask that these uh, radar beams and, and different frequencies of electromagnetic radiation they're sending out, could it be crossing those realms and being detected? That's why you always find these things around, you know, you know, like battle groups and they're, they're, they seem to be interested in the, uh, you know, the training areas of, you know, fighter aircraft. And um, now maybe they, maybe they're just a, a different civilization and they're, you know, they're sending their scouts and things like that. But my, my, my question is it, could this technology that we're using to track things be, be, sticking a finger into their realm well, and, and going, come here, check this I, out. That's one thing that, again, is hard for hard to understand, right? Um, yeah. Because our we are created from this entire line of sight. So they literally, the denser realms of experience exist within us. Our stillness is what creates the habitats for those denser realms. Um, 
and we are also created from the less dense realm. So if you could imagine this sphere right here were to be in line with this one, and if this one were to be in line with this one, we're being created by the same energies. Um, so we're always overlapping and we're always coexisting. Um, and this, and you could say in this dimension of density, we're always coexisting. Like I'm being manifested from the same waves of energy that they are. Uh, when it comes to nuclear concerns, I think that's because if you were to consider the atom, which would be much closer to the center here in this drawing, what you realize is that when you start splitting apart atoms, you're basically splitting apart universes. Um, so they might not like that, but that's just an idea right there. I mean, I, I don't really know for right. sure. Yeah. Um, there was another th point you mentioned. Oh, and so when it comes to why, why are we interacting with more nowadays, I think it actually has more to do with um, the line with the with this model. Let me see if I can get it to work for you. This model again, because this is only showing a day, right? One day of synchronized energy. But when you consider the dimension outward, right? So the next set of six rings, you could say, they also line up on time scales. Um, the, the alignment that we're currently very close to is the 2000 year alignment, um, which ends up coming out of these sets of rings as well. And so during that 2000 year alignment, you could say that the red ring is all the way on the left. So instead of this being one day of time, say this is the same exact model, but representing 2000 years of universe existing within time. Um, our entire conscious experience is being tugged outward to where our midday is closer to their theta range, almost kind of thing. Um, and so that's what, in my opinion, that's what I take away from dimensional alignments is that they literally create a tugging on your conscious experience in this fifth dimensional vortex. So I think that that has a lot to do with actually why we're experiencing an increase um, is because that happens every 2000 years or so. And the, so the last one related to the coming of um, the Pisces, you know, related to the star of David and Jesus. And you could say that this one is related to the age of the Aquarius. See, and, and when I'm looking at these models, I can't help but think about uh, sacred geometry. Yeah, it's all very tied together. 26,000 years, basically. Yeah, the right. And how, how a lot of ancient cultures were very much tied into understanding this astro the astronomy that, you know, we're figuring out again. Um, but, you know, I looked at those models and, and I, I couldn't help to start. And when you said 2000 years, yeah. I started thinking of, of these different ages we go through, depending on where we are and what constellation is what, but there's these gigant, this gigantic wheel of time. Yeah. And uh, I think Randall Carlson does one of the best jobs in explaining that for people um, and how, you know, the different angles of, of geometric shapes, you know, always seem to come back to nine and, and, you know, it's, it's fascinating. So I love that stuff. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proponent, at least right now, of the the comet impact theory that wiped out, you know, the the megafauna that was here 
you know, 12,000 years ago with the ending of the last ice age, that there was a a massive comet impact that caused massive flooding, which then was reported in many, many myths as the great flood. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, struggling humans that killed all the saber toothed tigers who would eat them for lunch and things like that. It was a massive catastrophe that happened during the younger driest time. And, uh, and, and you talk about things when you were in school about, uh, you know, things not making sense with the physics world and stuff. And when I was going through my earth science classes and stuff, that was one thing I could <laughs> never, I, I would never get a straight answer from the professors and, and, right. you know, they'd give me a hard time because they were, they were I basically told, right. They were told yeah. to teach us there's three possible ways, chill, ill, or kill. So either it got really cold and they all died, they all got sick or humans killed them all, or maybe a combination of the three. And then they just leave it at that. But nobody can explain why we have that. We, we see the data. We have the hard data that we had massive flooding of the Atlantic and Pacific oceans. Are you saying that's from meteorite strike though? Or what were you suggesting that was from? What's that? You, uh, 12,000 years ago, the, uh, the, the ending of the yeah, ending well, of the ice age was that a magnetic reversal or was that the um comet impact comet okay. impact a broken up comet impacted into the the ice sheets the northern hemisphere ice sheets is there like an iridium layer or something like what's yes that? okay mm-hmm. I was just yeah there there is yeah. they they have found all kinds of iridium there's an iridium layer yeah. um, nano diamonds. Things like that, that massive burning of forest and things that happened around that time frame and the wiping out of, of 180 species of megafauna. So wow. billions of creatures. Yeah, I mean, that's the same type of, la- for people watching, right? That's the same type of layer they see at the KT boundary, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's very similar, though. I don't know if it's your iridium at at this layer it's it's the nano diamonds and shock quartz and things like that that are right plus yeah it's a very dark thin layer you can find in places and uh yeah it's it's massive burning of basically every forest on the planet it was it was a mess and it was lucky we survived you know there was a bottle a genetic bottleneck at that time have you seen anything on, um, I forget exactly where, somewhere in the Byzantine Empire, um, almost the same exact evidence, but their their explanation was more that it was like, it must have been a nuclear explosion. Um, is that the same thing or? I, I think so. I, I think that might be around the same time frame, but it's also around the same time frame where, you know, they say, you know, ancient civilizations only, you know, we really became civilized about 10,000 years ago or so. Well, it was basically when we were rebooting right, right, uh, right, from right. this catastrophe. Right. But they said nothing was older than uh, uh, ancient Egypt. You know, uh, 5,000 years ago was the real civilization with the building of the pyramids and stuff. And nothing was around during that time. And then we discover in Turkey, Gobekli Tepe, which was buried about 12,600 years ago or somewhere around there right before this catastrophe happened. So, and and Quebecly Tepe is a huge 
complex. They have, they've only uncovered like 5% of it, of these beautiful three-dimensional carved rocks that yeah, stand yeah, up. Yeah. Amazing. And that was buried before. So they knew something was coming. So they buried their. Reminds me of the Sphinx, right? Wasn't it yes. older than the pyramids? And then it also has evidence of wa- water erosion. Absolutely. And right. the, the last time there was any kind of water in Egypt, it was, was like 10,000 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> right. The yeah. heavy rains that it would take. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade, from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moonbear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop, and Spaced Out Radio After Hours Show. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. And we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Seth Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi there, this is Christina Gomez of Paradigm Ships and the Debrief Media, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? This is Big Willie with the UFO Garage Podcast, where we're all about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. I also run a podcast, Band of Bearded Brothers, with my brother Micah, B-O-B-B for short, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. So take a seat and buckle up as they educate us on all things woo Yeah. So, and I, I, I think that gets overlooked and poo pooed though. I think ideas are starting to change in, in, in looking at this comet impact theory, you know, uh, uh, very closely now, but because religion and science have been at each other's throat for the last few hundred years, you know, anything that talks of catastrophism and not uniformitarianism is kind of thrown out oh you're trying to 
give credibility to like the Bible and all this. No, I'm, I'm trying to say that 150 plus myth myths from people around the world might not be all that wrong. No, they might be sharing a common history, right? Like exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I find it funny, like um, how much emphasis people put on science and there's, Oh, it's right. But most people like you're saying are just, you question the professor and the professor is going to give you a hard time because he's not, you're not, you're not listening to the accepted answer. So it's like uh, science is great, but people are so scared to make changes within science once they're considered truths. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you one of the questions have any like physicists and things like that looked at your work and given you some kind of pushback or, have you hit any brick walls or gatekeeping or anything like that with your ideas? No, I haven't received any um, negative feedback from any physicist because I, okay. I think it's really hard to argue that at the most fundamental level, we have a consciousness and we have a field of energy. And then I think it's hard to argue um, that time dilations and Lorentz contractions are a thing. And then I think it's hard to argue about that all energy is in the state of orbit. Um. So put those three together, that shows us that our fundamental understanding of the universe is completely wrong. Like, yeah, yeah. when they say that universe is expanding and they say these different things. And then when you add to it um, the manifestation of matter, like just flipping in and out of solidity, um, you know, like where does that come from? It comes from the denser and less dense realms of experience that are all orbiting this greater structure. Um, but yeah, I haven't heard any feedback but in the same sense like i haven't i'm not sure if the right people to offer feedback have looked at it in a way okay um, but what's cool is i just sent out two of my books to luis elizondo and okay. when i spoke with him last he said he would pass the information on to abby Loeb. so we'll, we'll see what happens with that oh excellent yeah it would be great to see his you know what his responses would be to some of your ideas there because yeah and, and you said you were you were learning all of this through dream state, correct? Yeah, very intense meditations. Um, so this is the first book I wrote. It's called, I, so I wrote this one in 2014 and I rewrote it, but this is the original copy. It has this cover, like the, the so just so you can see the differences. I've made it a little bit <laughs> jazzier. Right. A little bit. But um, this one also had philosophical discussions in it. All the philosophical discussions that are in the liquid light state universe come from my original right in 2014. Um, I, I did not touch it. I made an, I made a very specific effort to not to change those. Um, and then what I was going to say is, but I have been learning in my dreams and they all come from very intense, like visions to where it's like, um, you need to write this right now kind of thing. Um, and so I do, I, I write it out and I, I typically write the entire book with including drawings and everything in one to two sittings. Um, and then send it straight to printing. Now, are do you have a a teacher in this dream state? Are you seeing the manifestation of something they're teaching? You're smiling, so there. Am I hitting on something there? How many, I don't think there? anyone's ever really asked me that. Um, there, there is master's orders. Yeah, I mean, it, like if you want to be like realistic about that, um, the very first time, not it's not master's orders. It's you could say it's a guide, a meditation guide. Um, and it, it's different. It's changed throughout time, uh, meaning my lifetime. The very first time you could say I had one, I was about the age of 10 
And that was uh, literally a gray being came out in front of me and held up both of its hands and taught me the delusions of mankind. I uh, said, we put the rocks where they are. We put the trees where they are. We put the concrete where it is. We create all the philosophies we follow. Um, we create with our wants, don't wants, assumptions and expectations. We create the physical reality that we experience. These are the delusions of mankind. Uh, mankind is in a state of delusion, like where they think they're things. Like, for example, um, I think I'm a doctor. I'm not, I mean, just an example. Like, I think I'm a construction worker. I think I am this thing. Um, where in reality, we're all humans that are on earth, right? And then we have all these things that we, I am, and we do, and we try to project onto others. And you could say society is in a very delusional state because you have the most raw experience again, which is, you know, consciousness, field of energy in the, in the physical realm, we have the most raw experience human on earth, right? Everything else is, is somewhat um, of a delusion. Like we're born into these different fractals of delusion. Like I was born in Cape town, South Africa during the apartheid. Um, I don't know where you were born. I'm just guessing in the U S somewhere, right? Michigan, yeah. Right. Right. Michigan. Someone else was born in a different country and someone else was born in a different country. And those are all different flows of space that, I'm not saying that they're wrong by any means or anything like that, but they're different fractals of experience um, and they're different flows of space. So there's all these different flows of space that have been created by man over time. Um, and so I was shown all that. Right. And basically I was removed of it. It was removed of delusion at the age of 10. And I was taught to never pick up any of them again. So stay free of delusion your entire life was, was the, one of the main challenges um, so go learn stuff. Yeah. Go learn science, learn what people say. He says this. And so it's always like, that's what they say, or that's what they think, but that's not really my reality. Uh, if I want to get an A on the test, I, I put these answers and I get the A, you know, I passed the test. I got an A, but that's not the truth. That's not really reality. Um, that's reality inside of a delusion. Exactly. Exactly. And getting the accepted grade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then are we, are we animals having a spiritual experience or are we spirits having an animal experience? Science says animals are beings that reproduce, right? I mean, we have, we don't have cell walls, apparently, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so animals, yeah. are, that's, that's a human definition of animal. Um, so that would be a delusion. <laughs> It's hard to describe. Uh, so I would just say that we're all spiritual beings and everything is a spiritual create. Like when it comes to the space of the in between my atoms, I mean, you see 0.00001% maybe of the energy that literally creates me. It's, it's coming from the denser realms of experience and the less dense realms of experience, the past and the future. Um, I would say we're more, more a being of spirit than we are a being of flesh and bone. As far as percentage of, the body, right. That actually makes you, uh, the physical you experience is just like a tiny little sliver of it. Where does meditation fit in on this? Uh, so meditation is important. Um, so once you remove delusion, you could say that you're at your golden spot, right? Because a being that's holding a posture, meaning a want, a don't want assumption expectation is basically like, imagine a smooth pond of energy that is the universe. And then every time you have a want, it's like throwing a stone into it or a pebble. And it sends out these ripples, right? And so now if I'm here and you're over there and we're both throwing stones into this universe, it sends out ripples and they overlap with each other. Um, they create distortions in the field. Add three people. Now you have three sets of ripples coming towards each other. But like, so a being without delusion literally doesn't create ripples in space-time. 
um, they can almost be considered invisible. Like the only, ideally, the only thing you should see of me is my physical and I shouldn't leave a trace. It's almost like leave no trace behind. Um, I'm getting distracted. So as far as meditation, we all get kind of filled with, and our postures solidify. Like, for example, if, can I uh, open up a different book here for this section? Sure. Yeah. This cool. is, so this is called The Physics of Love, and this comes from the infinite pool of experience and awareness. Um, and basically, it's applications of the book, applications of the theory. So um, I, I find it's good to show this for when it comes to meditation questions, because it has a lot of good visuals. So if you have a, a, a smooth field of energy, right, right here, say this is a uniform field of energy and we're accelerating towards center at light speed while orbiting, we get something called the now moment, which looks like this, right? So we kind of already went over that. Um, but so what we also need to realize is that we have something called the golden spot which would be your creation if you didn't have any wants, don't wants, assumptions, or expectations. It's like you're, you're perfectly being focused from the natural nodes of manifestation. And every time, you know, like we mentioned, you have a want, don't want, assumption, or expectation, it creates a shift. Um, outside thought comes in, literally changes your heart harmonization, your vibratory field changes because you've accepted a new thought. So now when you think about all the energies that are overlapping, it creates a shifted node. Um, and, you literally have a spiral back to and from your golden spot as thoughts dissolve away from being part of your harmony. Um, and so when it comes to a lifetime of existing within the fluid of time, you could say that we create structures as we evolve or have different experiences within our life. And so you could say you're born at the silver spot and then you have to go to school, which is like one of these green spirals. And before you can actually continue to evolve as like a, a fully developing human, you have to conquer the delusion of going to school. Um, and so, so this branch out here, it's like a really big branch. That comes a lot out. of my students right now are nodding their heads going, yes, <laughs> so yes, get us out of school. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so that's why it's it's challenging to present. You have to present this in a, in a way that it's not, you know, that's still people understand, but aren't like offended, right? Because I, I went through school. I went through the whole trying really hard to get a patent, sell a product. I'm going to make money and I'm going to be successful. Like, Oh my God, come on. That's the biggest joke ever. So like um, this could be someone that's caught into a fractal of delusion. Right. So like literally they're, they're evolving. And then all of a sudden they, they join a religious Institute or a militaristic infrastructure. Right. So then now they've dedicated to this life of human creation that they then have to complete before they can continue to actually connect to the universe and evolve further. Um, and so you could say that someone that doesn't ever reach their golden spot basically has this type of manifestation. And when you consider reincarnating beings, um, you could consider that they have, because you have densities of creation and as you reincarnate, you're further and further inward. So when it comes to reincarnated beings, basically you end up with something like this, which is super rusty. It makes a, a bad electrical wire, bad electrical connections. But then you could say that someone like the Dalai Lama, who has manifested and created from their golden spot at all times, has something more like this going on in their lives um, to where this is the structure they make when they re reincarnate. And so they can actually pass information through the different densities of experience throughout the different lives. Um, and so when it comes to meditation, for me, it has a lot to do with always being at the golden spot, returning to the golden spot and getting other people 
to go to their golden spot. And so it has to do with healing, with posture control. Um, and what I mean by that is healing with your mind, body, spirit diagram, because there's different spirals of creation. Like we were talking about this earlier. Like if you're born into a country of Russia or you're born into the country of Ukraine or the United States or China, every one of these is a different flow of space. They're all going to be disconnected from the greatest flow of reality. Like say this could even be the military industrial complex or a religious institute or school. You're, it's, whenever you take a posture of I am something, like I am a doctor, I am, um, for your example, a, a teacher, right? Uh, in my example, um, an artist, like that's or an inventor or a designer, or, you know, you know, like they're all IMs and they become limiting and they become your line of sight. And your line of sight is literally how far into time, into conscious experience you can see. Um, and the easiest way to see it is to look at the spiral of a drug addict because their line of sight is a 30 minute spiral. Um, and so it's easy for someone who's in a bigger spiral to look into someone who's in a tighter spiral and say, oh, he's just, you know, he's addicted to his drugs. And then um, as you remove your field of view, so you could say, oh, well, he's just going to his job for the day. So that's why he's standing behind the counter and doing his things. He's in that spiral of creation. So as you remove your delusions, your line of sight gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you can see into the spirals of others. For example, you know, all the Russians, and it becomes apparent right now, like they're all being hypnotized by their propaganda, right? They have a very specific propaganda right now out there that says certain things. Uh, the United States also has a very certain propaganda that's saying very certain things, but all of those are disconnected from the greatest flow of reality, which is the earth, the sun, and the human spirit. Um, those are all creations of man, you know, in their little flows of space. So, so if somebody tries to get to that golden spot, what is it like when you get there? What, what is revealed? All is revealed. Like um, you, your line of sight increases to the beginning of time, to the end of time. Um, and anything you want, don't want, assume or ex expect will be created. And so one extremely important thing to do before you get to your golden spot is remove your don't wants. Because if you're a person who's holding on to a lot of don't wants, or at least has one, the, the second it comes into mind, it will be man manifest. It's almost like um, when Jesus says, don't look at the water. Like when you're walking on the water, don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Walk on the water. Just don't look at it. Uh, well, here's a, here's a perfect example. Just today. I didn't want the power to give us issues because we're having rainstorms up here. The don't want it, 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 there was my don't want, and I yep. don't want the power to go out on us. <laughs> and about 25 minutes in people, guess what happened? The power went out. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Yeah. So I, I call that your golden spot. And so that's one aspect of the whole meditation thing. Um, but you asked, um, so as far as like my goal through meditation is to learn to basically walk up to someone and just tap them on the forehead and have them be straight at their golden spot. Um, that's the lesson I've been learning lately in my dreams is how to basically tap someone on the forehead and send them straight back to their golden spot. Um, now you had mentioned reincarnation is, is reincarnation something that fits within your theory? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all energy, right? What am I like at the end of the day? What, like I'm asking you in a way, what, what am I, what are you? I'm, what do, I mean, what are you? We're, we're energy moving at a certain frequency. Right. I mean, that's at the end of the day, like at the most simple ex explanation, it's energy 
and the way I like to spin it from this model, it's energy orbiting and drifting inward. Um, and just natural wave nature, talking about overlapping of energy and um, even just waves in an ocean and, you know, interference patterns, um, you, you, you don't exist, right? So imagine that's a flat, a flat line and then you exist. So you pop into existence and then you pass away. You don't exist and then you exist and then you pass away. So the way I see it in this drawing is as our universe, experience of the universe drifts inwards along that habitable spiral, um, you, we're literally blipping in and out of solidity with our different lives. Um, and so this is like one life. This would be your next life your next life, your next life, your next life. And they just kind of blip in and out, blip in and out. Um, but then there's also, so that's a reincarnation on a short time scale, all within universe, meaning our, meaning our layer of reality, right? All within universe. Um, but if you think about all of time, there's dimensional alignments, like what we were talking about, where every 2,178, 2,000 years-ish, our experience gets tugged outward. The whole experience gets tugged outwards. And so different beings reincarnate into the field of energy, right? So 2000 years ago, basically uh, we had a Jesus Christ guy kind of come into experience, right? Sure. And so, and from my understanding, there's basically a great potential for the reemergence of a Christ-like consciousness within the next hundred years. Um based off of that tugging and the dimensional alignments. So that's what I have here is converging and diverging timelines. Um, and so the ushering in the age of the Aquarius is basically another one of those uh, alignments. So that, that's kind of what's come from this as well. <laughs> I know there's a lot of information and I'm sorry if I'm all over the place. Well, you know what? You're giving our audience a, a good like overview because if I'm getting some of it, I'm sure a lot of our audience will be able to pick up on it as well. Um, but it's it's absolutely fascinating. And then tying this in with, uh, oh, that's one thing I want to ask, tying this into something in the paranormal realm. So how does things like the spirit, uh, a perfect example. And I heard you mention this before, but I, I did not listen to everything you had to say on it, but like Skinwalker Ranch. Now there's ideas out there right now floating around that Skinwalker Ranch is in the, uh, in a basin, right? Kind of like here in Michigan, we're part of the Michigan basin. It's like a big um, bowl. Yes. Like a geological bowl. A geological bowl that might have been caused by some type of an impact. Funny, we were talking about that. Um, And that might be some type of a a dish or a focusing area of energies, because I know if you watch Skinwalker Ranch, they're they're running into all types of energy and things that seem to be happening there. So what's your thoughts on, on Skinwalker Ranch and your model and how that all plays out? Yeah, so basically we have these different layers, right? So the lower verse is a habitable layer of experience, meaning physical beings can live there and exist there. The universe is a habitable layer of experience. The Noviverse is a habitable layer of experience. When you have a magnetic vortex that creates a one to four crunch and stretch ratio with a two times orbital distance, it literally harmonizes the universe to the Noviverse meaning our universe can experience the Noviverse. And when you go the other way, we our universe can experience the lower verse. 
So when you think about um, Skinwalker Ranch, basically there's magnetic anomalies, meaning a lot of magnetic vortices that are coming into our experience. Um, so in my opinion, they're, they're harmonizing the fields to interact with you. And what you note, and so basically this could be like, and so one way to think of it is like in a river, um, there's areas of a river that are very turbulent and there's areas of a river that are very laminar. And depending on the type of flow is what type of animals can live there. And so algae can only live in certain areas of the river. Big fish live in certain areas of the river. And so you can consider all of these different habitats within the fluid of time. And so when you walk up to a place like Skinwalker Ranch and you have a mind, body, spirit posture that looks a lot like this, you're literally like a cup of salt water now that's gone into the ocean. And when you come out, you can like hold salt water with you, right? Because you're a cup of salt water. So you could hold a fish that lives in salt water. Um, but it can't leave you because you've, it has now, it's now existing within your flow of creation. Um, we are the denser realms of experience. It, it's challenging to see, but our harmony literally creates the fluid of experience for denser realms. Um, and so quite literally, you can create a, a habitat for a being to live within is the way I see it. And so... Yeah, that's that's the easiest way to describe it for me. It's basically Skinwalker Ranch is a place that has a lot of vortices, and in those places they could be bringing up the energy naturally. And if you're walking around with some type of vortices, it could potentially match the habitat that that being likes to live in. And so now it can jump into your vortice that you have, and um, it now has to live within you, and it can't leave your presence because it you know fish can't live out of water, right? So you literally have to walk back over to a place where it can jump back in and swim away or you have to kill it. it yeah. It's stuck in that spiral yeah. of energy that you've created. And that to me would sound like a good definition of what we hear about with the hitchhiker effect, where these exactly. things grab a hold of people and then go home with them and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's even why I put a section in here about cleansing hitchhikers. Um, because I think that's a big part of this whole, dimensional alignments is that the hitchhikers they they want you it's challenging to understand to see but basically you know if I, and I don't like using some of the words but god um is essentially the big bigger realm the, the greatest realm of all creation and you could say that when we whisper into god's ears it's almost the same as like hearing a hitchhiker whisper into our ears um and so like we can, you know, and so like they'll create influences and try to get people to do things. But the problem with is human society is not very aware <laughs> of like these kinds of influences. And so they don't realize that it's not their thought that's that's telling them to do these things. That it's actually a thought coming from a denser realm of experience. The angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other. Yeah. So right. in a way, the angels come from the lower verse and the, and the demons come from the the Noviverse, but I don't like to say angels and demons because you can sure. have good and bad beings in all different layers of experience. So would those vortices then, would you, would you consider those portals because they've been, re, you know, they've, uh, yeah. you know, reported seeing strange things open up and creatures or a creature come out or these wolf creatures that seem to appear and run around the ranch and the whole cattle mutilation and things like that that are going on with the vortices that you're talking about i could see people perceiving them as as some type of a portal 
Yeah, because I mean, what is a portal, right? A portal from our perception is like um, a spiral, you know, it's like a, a line that we can walk through and now we're in a different dimension. But what is what is the dimension and, and how do we even experience reality to begin with? And what's really interesting out of this is that it basically shows that there's natural portals or what I call interdimensional telescopes, right? Places where our consciousness will harmonize with the next layer of experience. And not only our consciousness, but physical bodies too. Um, so you get natural portals to other dimensions. And so basically here I say interdimensional consciousness travel, I forget exactly the word, interdimensional portals, right? It's the same as a, as a conscious telescope. Um, like that's where, again, like what is our understanding of physics and consciousness? I don't, it's hard for people to understand what a portal really is, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I see it there. And I heard you talking with Chris Leto about this too, was the interdimensional telescope. <laughs> yep. And I was very interested in learning what, what was going on with that because i just recently found uh artisan tony which is a very cool youtube channel everybody you should check that out he has some great conversations on there and, and yeah. alexei's on there quite a bit and uh i watched a few of them and you guys were talking about the interdimensional telescope and i'm like what the heck are you talking about <laughs> because I'm coming into the, it's like walking in mid semester into a class and, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're, you're three months into um, like calculus <laughs> or something. <laughs> I mean, and it's challenging too. Cause I, like, uh, like I said, I've, I've been learning in my dreams. Right. And so for me, it's, I, I have to write this out and have it make sense to everyone within the scientific community. Right. So it's, it's so it's challenging. And so that's why I like, in the book, The Infinite Pool of Experience and Awareness, my first section is literally Darwin's theory of evolution. It's like, let's start from the beginning here, guys, and we're just going to work our way up. Well, uh, that's like what my wife and I have to do um, when we try to teach kids things. We got to take some of these concepts and, and you know, there are some very good curriculum writers out there. I give them credit for breaking things down. But, you know, at one point, I remember getting blown away in college when I was told, well, the orbital model of an, uh, an atom is, eh, it's not really what's going on. It's not really what's going on, but there is still that, <laughs> there's still that orbital relationship, but there's things exactly. really, right. They're more blipping in and out of solidity at all times. Yeah. It's right. Like a cloud of probability. <laughs> yeah. Right. An electron exists in a cloud of probability. It may be there. It may not, but it seems to work. It's somewhere there in our, it, yeah. And it, it seems to work. Right. And so for every phys, for every action desired, there's the most appropriate physics. And so when it comes to dimensional travel, we need to think of the right physics and I, I, they didn't teach it in school for, because probably because it wasn't accepted, but this, this model that I, that I've drawn up shows, in my opinion, dimensional physics. Um, but what I wanted to show, I guess, here, as far as like teaching tool, I mean, this is what I do. And th this is in the crystal of time. So already page 120, but basically perspectives grow with senses. I'll do like a quick recap on the evolution of the human, the human body and the senses. And we say we started from a single celled organism, right? So imagine before we even had taste or, um, just the most primitive experience to begin with feel you get wall or no wall. So at that point in evolution, let's do physics. 
what do we think physics is about? You know, like what, what kind of physics would we come up with? What would we think reality even looks like? Um, and then we now we've gained taste good and taste bad, smells good, smells bad. So our entire perception is wall, no wall, taste good, taste bad. Um, and then you could say we get like ears or uh, the ability to detect sound. And so you get Doppler shifts. So you get wall, no wall, taste good, taste bad, wall leaving, wall coming. Okay, so now we have light, right? And so can I just read this section? Because I think it'll, it'll help. Yeah, go right. for it. So our next sense would be that of vision, which is centered around the color yellow. The concept of seeing through visible yellow light is a very earthly thing. It is directly related to the sun's maximum wave of output, which is the color yellow. In other words, we most likely would be, most likely would not be tuned to yellow or even have eyes if the sun didn't exist. This, this ability to see through electromagnetism would be our next big jump in self-awareness and conscious evolution. We can now see there are, is color to the noises we heard and felt. We have a new sense of awareness. We can see to the edge of the universe and to the illusionary beginning of time. Similarly to how we can see the source of sound and to the illusionary location of manifested objects. Our awareness has now shifted to encompass the entire universe, or at least to the smooth cosmic microwave background. Our environment in which to grow has increased to the entirety of the known universe, or rather limitations of aided visual perception. However, to say that is all would not be to understand how our senses have been developing. We are all one awareness coming from the more primitive single cell. In a fashion, we are one being becoming more aware. So now let us explore the sense of time and compare the now to the visual spectrum. Could the past and future not physically still exist just like longer and shorter wavelengths of sound and light than our now may perceive? Either way, one thing is for certain. We do see and experience time. We are in time, just like the universe, just like the solar system, just like the planet Earth. We are in or on time. We revolve around the center of time. The flowing nature of past, present, and future is a limitation to our perception and cognitive ability. However, we are orbiting and flowing through the crystal of time. So it shows that with, you get, you get what I'm saying there, basically like as, as we evolve, we gain senses. And as we gain senses, our ability to do physics gets better, right? We have a new sense of awareness. Right. That doesn't mean that light is the limitation of speed. Um, that's just a limitation of human perception. And to say that the speed of light is a barrier is to not understand the evolution of the human body. Yeah. And I think that they are, uh, they're looking at the speed of light is, is not the end all be all. I thought I had recently seen something, uh, an article come out that there is something faster than the speed of light. Well, quantum entanglement already shows that, right? Would Einstein call that? Spooky action uh, at a distance. Yes, yeah, spooky action at a distance, right? So right. one thing flips over here, the other thing flips at the same time yeah. somewhere else. I've got a very easy explanation for that too. Well, uh, my thought goes to twins. Right? Take take twins and separate them by a thousand miles and then have one twin get sick. The other one knows. Right. We'll call up. What's going on? Somebody has a very strong emotional reaction. One of the twins does to something. They're sad. They get a divorce. They're injured in an accident, whatever. That other twin knows like that. Instantly. Instantly. Yeah, yeah I think it has, like, like I said, I think our entire four dimensions of meaning our X, Y, Z, and then our perception of time, our past, present, and future is all being manifested from that fifth dimensional vortex. And so when you could say people are, um, 
was it harmonic resonance, right? So if there's two guitars, one sitting in a corner, not playing any strings. And those, so you could say people are tuned by their DNA in this example. Twins would be have the same DNA almost, right? Right. So when one DNA vibrates, it's going to ring on that other one. If they're just guitars, one sitting in the corner quietly, one's playing a tune, the one in the corner is going to feel the vibrations. Um, sure. And so I think from my opinion and my understanding, that's all wave energy that's in that fifth dimension. When you think about how all of our energy is basically an overlapping of the fifth dimensional vortex, you can consider it like a sound wave propagating through the fifth dimension. Um, and it would cast shadows of experience into the future and into the past. Um, because our, our perception of now is just this line that we're orbiting on. And if you create a ripple here, it's going to send changes to every single point in the past, the future, the time. But so from our perception, it's instantaneous, but there, there is a trap, a speed of quantum entanglement. It's the, it's the rate that that wave travels within this fifth dimension. But from our experience, it's all simultaneous. So it, it's hard to see from our 4D space time, but if you, when you include that fifth dimension, it becomes pretty apparent. Um, so if, from our perception, the, the, the fact that this would have a speed in the fifth dimension doesn't really matter because to us anyways, it's instantaneous. Well, if you're trying to communicate with a specific moment in time, then I think it matters um, where you can start okay. actually communicate. Because from my understanding now, we can actually build technologies that send signals to various moments in time itself. And we could theoretically take photos of different moments in time and we can create interdimensional technologies. Um, okay, so so my brain just broke. And, it, and what popped in my head as soon as you said that was remote viewing. Right. Well, I mean, with remote viewing, basically, you're just seeing all of time, in my opinion. Like, you can see this entire... It depends how good you are and how much practice you have. But from my, from my understanding, I always like to throw that little disclaimer in. It has everything to do with that line of sight. And so as you remove your IMs, like I am something, you, 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 you exist within bigger spirals of creation. And if you're in a bigger spiral, you can always look into the spiral of someone that's in a smaller one. Um, so as you remove all of your delusions, you end up in a spiritual sense on the top of a mountain, able to look into the delusions of others. Um, and so that means you could see everyone's experiences. Yeah. As far as remote viewing. Right. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So would you consider this like a, a unified theory of everything that people are hunting for? Um, I think it, there's a potential helper, right? I mean, it, the first question I ask here in this book is what is matter and what is light? And then my, <laughs> right, nobody can answer that. <laughs> well, I say right here, aren't they the same energy being perceived in two different ways, all created by a single motion? Um, and so when you, again, when you look at that orbit and you know about Lorentz contractions and time dilations, matter is the energy that's between you and the center of time as you approach and it's being stretched away. And then as you leave, right, because this is our, our perception magnifying the now moment, light, matter and light are only differentiated when perceived, it's Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And um, basically this energy in between you and the center of time is being crunched as you approach it and stretched away on the outside of time. But then as you leave that energy from the outside of time is being crunched to you 
and energy on the inside of time is being stretched away. Um, and so it unifies, it gives, it gives a relationship between matter and light, but then it also shows that our perceptions can get denser and denser, but as we be, as we create a denser experience, fields of energies would change because it's all, it's all relative. Um, so what I'm trying to get at is a, like, if we were to shrink down to the Planck size consciousness, an atom no longer looks like an atom or acts like an atom, right? So there's the, the, the place where the two become one is, is at consciousness, is in the level of consciousness. It, it comes down to the relative motions and the crunching and stretching of energy. Hopefully I explained that decently at least. Well, again, you know, whether I'm grasping all this or not, your explanation is putting thoughts in my head, which I think are, are is my brain <laughs> grappling with, with understanding this. And so let me, th- when, when I look at how we're being stretched one way and then, you know, being pulled the other way, our consciousness and our observations and things, it makes me think about when I was younger and I, I spent 20 some years uh, as a, a martial artist in competitions and fighting and things like that. And that idea right there makes me think about what they would call Zashen in Japanese or the still mind. And when you get into this state, as all athletes do, you call it one way, one thing or another, but when you get your mind in this state, when you're preparing for battle, in my case, everything stops. I mean, things are moving so slow that you're, you're so focused. And I just, I remember like the outside world did not exist. I didn't hear people yelling. I didn't hear screaming, nothing from people cheering in the crowd, none of that kind of stuff when we did these competitions and it, it, it's like time slows down Yeah. now. So when, when, when I'm, I'm hearing this, a lot of this sounds like ancient teachings, but done different and you're smiling again. So, I mean, I, I hope I'm hitting on something good here or I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and it's sticking. No. Well, Talk to me. I, I'm also a lifetime practitioner of uh, martial arts. Um, been, you know, so I study a lot of meditation and. Um, Aikido, maybe. No, no. Um, Taekwondo, Muay Thai, uh, Kung Fu, Tai Chi. Uh, uh, just, just a lot of random things jujitsu you know um but the ones that i really liked the most were like tai chi as far as meditation and also Ching, Ching, which is basically like uh the shaolin version of yoga and like um but basically you get into those points where you you let go of the self right the i am and you're able to connect to the greater now moment it's the greatest ohm of reality it's when you're connected to the past and the future that was the way i see it but when it comes to like slowing down of reality within our perception, I feel like that has a lot to do with like almost 
see, it's either two way, two things. It's either you're connected to the biggest ring or you're connected to the tiniest rings or you're connected to all of it at the same time, in my opinion. Um, and so that relates to like being connected to a fast gamma, but also a delta wave, like the longest wave of creation. Um, because it's all relative. And if you have quicker frequencies in your brain, that means time is slower. It's like an adrenaline rush will make your brain activity go up to like that 40 hertz. Absolutely. And so it slows down time because you're process, you're having more pictures per second. Um, there's a physical way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I had touched on exactly what I was trying to say, but yeah, no, like I, I hear you with the whole, the meditating and the martial arts aspect of it. That's been a, a huge part to help me. Well, I think, you know, athletes that run or do anything, they call it getting in the zone. Right. What, zone? what are you talking about? What zone? And now, you know, it's like, ah, okay. Got you. You're letting go of like the IMs too. Like the I am tired or the I am this. It's like, you just, you're in it. That, you that's know? exactly it. It's, it's this moment yeah. right now. Yep. It, it, nothing else matters. It's right now. And when and, and I know a lot of people out there listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe it's the moment before you know you're going to have a car accident, right? It's that everything just goes hollow and being it, your consciousness moves. It seems like it moves. And, and when I would get into fight, you know, when I do fights, I would do a quick self meditation. You know, I would just kind of just not psych myself up, but try to calm down. Because the more psyched up and tight you are, the slower you're going to move. Yeah. The more relaxed you are, the quicker you can move when needed. And it would get to the point where when I was training and we did, I did a lot of what's called Daitaru Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, which is uh, the grandfather of where Aikido came from. So Aikido took us a, a spiritual route of this Japanese art. And whereas the Daitaru was the, the school of the samurai, the combat, it was, it was all based on combat and wearing heavy armor, right? right? A little Japanese person wearing 80 pounds of armor on a battlefield is not running around like a normal soldier. They move differently. They think differently. They swing their swords differently. It all has to be done at a certain way at a certain time and everything has to work together. So it would be get into this moment of now just nothing else matters and and deal with whatever's in front of you right at that moment and be relaxed because if you're tense you're tired instantly you're not going to last long in in a combat situation so I don't, I don't know where I was really going with this, but well, I mean, I'll, I'll go with that for a second. Like the, so I started, I was an instructor at a martial arts academy and they taught all kinds of stuff. They didn't teach Tai Chi, but I, I already practiced it for about eight, nine years <laughs> before I went and taught there. And so for me, while they're, while I'm supposed to be fighting like Muay Thai or Taekwondo style, um, I would switch over and I would, I would fight Tai Chi style, right? So how do you even fight with Tai Chi? Meaning you let their energy come to you and all you're doing is yielding and hip checks, shoulder yep. checks. It's yep. extremely challenging, but once you can feel their flow, it's so easy. And that's, that's what oh, I wanted to get yeah. to. That's what, that's, that's what, what I thought. Right, yeah. right. That, that, uh, not only are you calming your mind, you're harmonizing with the other person's energy. So that, that's, yeah. It got to the point where, 
you could get so in tuned with things that when somebody was to say, try to grab you and do a wrist lock or something on you right before their hand can touch your arm, you already feel it. So you can already start your motion. If you're relaxed, it's like, and then if they did grab a hold of you, I always had this sense of I was them. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was tied into their nervous system. So if they pushed me, I yield it. Exactly. If they pulled me, I went with it and, and, and could move very large people. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I think no it's great. Yeah. So uh, I just want to say it, like, uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Finish. finish. No, I was just going to say it was a weird, it was once I was spending so much time doing this, it was such a weird experience to, to get into this and, and, and try to figure out, you know, and now I can see where the martial arts and the philosophies always kind of started to wrap together. Yeah. Like martial arts is really good about body. Right. Um, yeah. But it doesn't really consider the mind and well, it does consider the mind and spirit, not traditional modern day martial arts doesn't so much. Right. But it all has to do with your strength and your ability to perform a move, whatever that move is. Like if you want to now, if you're thinking mathematics and things like that, you have a, a, a spot where you're, it's your strongest stance. Right. That's what I call the golden spot. It's like your strongest stance in all three aspects, mind, body and spirit, not just body, you know. Um, but just to relate back to what you were just saying, I think in Tai Chi, um, one practice we did was called sticky hands. Well, I was going to say, was it push hands? Because push, I've been looking at the same thing. Yeah. So, so in um, Tai Chi, it might be push hands, but I, I don't know. In uh, Shaolin uh, Kung Fu, it was sticky hands sparring or push hands. I think it's the same thing. Push hands is. Sticky I, hands. It sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. But what I thought was really cool about that is that when you're going against someone who's doing it for their first time. And they close their eyes and they're next to you. They'll, they'll, they won't know that they're still touching you. Um, it's hilarious. It's not hilarious, but you get what I'm saying. It, it's yeah. They're like, I thought you were supposed to be touching me. And like, they open their eyes and you're still touching them and you're going with every motion they're making, but they can't feel you. It, it's really impressive. Like, um, and I was explaining this on a podcast the other day. It's like, sit quietly and, and relax on a windy day. Yeah. You can feel the wind blow past your face, but can you feel the wind on a day that there's no wind, you know, can you feel the energy flowing past your face when there's no wind can you feel that can you feel the hairs on your arm flow with you know it's not put your energy next to theirs can you feel their energy shooting through their bodies um yeah so i i think sticky hands had a lot to do with helping me well, just the concept of it i thought was really cool you know yeah and when when i was learning martial arts unfortunately when i first started it was very hard arts you know it was karate and it was judo oh, and, and then when i was studying daitaru even though uh it, it could lead to a very spiritual and mind body combination of aikido my instructor both of my instructors were engineers so we looked at everything as lines and circles and lines of sight kinematics like torque. yeah yeah Weak line, strong line, you know, circle coming in, you move in a line, you move in a circle, they move in a line, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a physics to it, but um, I always found it fascinating. The mindset that you, you would get into while, while training. And it's, uh, I I don't know. It seems like all these things start to come together. And then it makes me think about all this ancient knowledge that we had as humans 
Well, I think we're still attached to it all, right? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. there's maybe this is that 2000 year age of Aquarius kind of thing where people's consciousness are shifting and changing. Yeah. So uh, I was going to, I forgot, I forgot what I was getting at, but you were, we were talking about um, meditation exercises and then now we're in martial arts. Well, one of the, med- and, and have I ever had like a master in my dreams or whatever kind of thing? Um, I was always shown the next thing I needed to practice in my dreams kind of thing. And one of them was walking a handrail, uh, the Ballast Point Pier handrail, which is a 20 minute, 20 minute walk. If you were to just like walk nice and calmly just around the whole thing and it's six inches wide. And, you know, if you step off to the side, you're going to fall 20 feet into water. So it was like, I, I walked the whole handrail while doing my double nunchuck routine. And the, the idea behind it and the point that I was supposed to learn is that the next step is obvious. Like the entire path is very daunting. But the next step is right in front of you. It's the foot in front of you. And it's extremely obvious. And so that that was the lesson behind that was that the next step is obvious. Don't worry about the full length path. Um, and so it's that was the now. It's the now. Right now, all you have to do is take one step. You don't have to worry about walking 20 minutes and you don't have to walk. Like there's literally only now and it's just one step at a time. Yeah. And if you can do the now, then you can do the next now. Exactly. And the next now. And then, and then when you look back, you all, you just, you just do this entire thing. That's extremely impressive. Or then like even challenges you, like you think it's like you impress yourself, right? It's like, wow, I, I just did that. Um, but it, it's, it really comes down to those little steps adding up to a big accomplishment. You could say, yeah. and that's the, and that, that translates to every aspect in life at any achievement that anyone's striving for. The next step is obvious. When you look at the bigger picture, it can become very daunting at times. Um, yeah, but the next step is typically pretty obvious. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> boy, we've gone down some uh, different discussion paths, but you know, I used to have a T-shirt that said, "Martial arts is life." Right. You know, and that—that's all it said. It was just that martial arts was life. So, you know, in that regards, and, and you know, I wonder if there, when when religion and philosophy kind of separate it from science. I think it did a huge disservice to humans. It did. Yeah. yeah. I call that a shift in natural selection. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't know why, I don't know why we can't, you know, coexist. And I got to see, you know, video show up in my video feed of, you know, uh, religion versus science and they're going to have this great debate and somebody's supposed to win and and i think in my mind you know it wasn't that many hundreds of years ago where the priest and the churches were the ones trying to figure out how did god create all this stuff and they came up with the science i mean the big bang theory is is from a priest <laughs> this is idea that's funny that's where i think it's it's um it's so weird because people that believe in science i mean Science is a tool created by man in order to, in order to explain reality with mathematics. It does, it is not reality. It is a tool we created. Um, And religion clearly doesn't explain how to like build cars. Right. So that's right. So we need to use both of those together to, you know, to, I don't know, to live properly, but to say that science is, or science is all, you're missing so much because science doesn't even know what gravity is. It doesn't know what momentum is. It can't explain life and it can't explain death. Um, exactly. Science is limited for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Alexi. 
Dude, we've been talking almost two hours. <laughs> if you're good, I'm good. But I, I can keep going. I was going to say I'd take a five-minute break and keep going. But if you're done, I mean, I'm good. No, I think we should probably wrap it up at this <laughs> okay. point. And, and, and what, what this will do then is we'll get you back on our show. Cool. We'll we'll have you come back. You got to do a, a return uh, guest appearance for us. So this was awesome. I hope our our audience will appreciate all the conversations we had here in all the different places we went. And I think if people can grasp this, I think this is a good way we can start bringing a lot of the consciousness aspect to everything as well. And I do know that Lou. Uh, Elizondo was very interested in a lot of what you were proposing when it came to uh, your theory and your model that you created. So I think there's something there. Yeah. I mean, I've had my validifications along the way. Yeah. Like just different people that have reached out from different programs saying that, you know, this this looks pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. You're on the right track kind of a thing. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, Alexei, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast and and sharing your knowledge and a, a lot about your model that you've come up with and kind of where this came from and then going into the whole martial arts aspect of things. And uh, I'm glad we got to been... martial arts. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, Michelle, I think we're going to Say good night. What do you think? I, You've been very my brain, quiet. Over my there. brain is on overload. So I'm <laughs> trying to take all of it in. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Alexi. We will talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. All, all right. right. You take too. Care. That's it. Well, that was one intense interview. And I think my brain grew by about 33.3%. I don't know. Michelle? Mine hurts. Yours hurts. Yeah, it's understandable. So, uh, man, what a lot to take in. That Talk was, about some intense listening. Yeah, it was, uh, man, and lots of visuals with this. So one thing I will do is when I upload the YouTube version of this, I will put his images that he was screen sharing with us into the YouTube like I did with the Michael Schratt. So the images will pop up at times where he's talking about the uh, different locations of the red sphere, which is your consciousness moving through the different times and, uh, just some very interesting stuff. And, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this is why it's important to learn how to read charts and graphs and illustrations, (laughs) kids, and any of my students out there, I just witnessed it today as to why it is important to learn how to read those things and interpret them. Yeah, just uh, a totally different uh, track to go on with the the podcast. But I did like talking to him about the um, Comet Impact Theory. He was very interested in that and uh, the martial arts aspect of all of this stuff too. The Asian philosophies that are mixed into the martial arts and uh, meditation Buddhism and you know all of that well then and mine was the the bet on reincarnation yeah Yeah, so like when I was doing the martial arts thing um, you know a lot of the martial arts that I studied was more about the physical aspect of things like he had said 
you know, there's the the martial arts out there that do really think about strength and, you know, punching and all that kind of stuff. But there's a whole nother side to martial arts that's uh, usually in America or in Western cultures, they're not really practiced that much because we are so focused on strength and being strong and all of that. Whereas the Asian cultures kind of encompass all of the different aspects into the martial arts. So mind, body, spirit, those kind of things. So it really depends on the martial arts you study and which one you like, but that was a great conversation to have with them. All right, Michelle, I think it's time to wrap this one up. It's been a long, crazy week. And all I'm going to say to that on top of being sick and dealing with this upper respiratory infection is some of the very toxic behaviors I'm seeing with some of the UFO community. Um, I don't know what to make of it. And this is all I just really want to say is that we really as a community or as podcasters or whatever, we should really just focus on what we need to focus on to figure out what these UAPs are and leave it at that the personal attacks and stuff, just that kind of stuff needs to stop. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm not really happy with some of the stuff I'm seeing. So with that being said, Michelle, are you ready to do your dance and get out of here? I think that we're ready for to sign off for the night. So have a great night and remember everybody. Keep your eyes to that sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO sightings and paranormal encounters. So until next time.